and welcome to Encounter, the show that brings you the life-changing encounters of ordinary people that launch them into lives of extraordinary mission. My name is Dan Dimite, and I'm joined here in studio with my co-host and good friend, Patrick Rice. Hey, Dan. What's up, Patrick? I'm excited for today with Drew. I am, too. So Encounter is a co-production of St. Gabriel Catholic Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Wow, that's crazy, right? Yes. And uh, we're going to bring to you a great show today with our guest, Drew Snyder, who is living as a director of evangelization in a parish right now, and is also just living a vibrant Catholic community life. And I think there's uh, there's going to be a lot of great beauty that we're able to pull out of his testimony of what does life in Christ look like in, in our day-to-day reality, but also just drew this idea of more and more parishes are moving away from your standard like director of religious education into a new title in the ministry called director of evangelization, right? And it's, you know, it's, it's one thing, there's always the, um, let's just change titles to make this sound better, right? Or like an, an evangelization, catechesis, discipleship, all of these things can become kind of trend words in the Catholic Church without actually being like substantial. substantial. And and so I just want to talk a little bit about that to di- like as we start off, right? But we're going to open in prayer first. Do you want to open us in prayer? Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord Jesus, you are the vine, we are the branches. Without you, we can do nothing. Jesus, you make yourself come alive in us through the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I ask you to come let uh, that your presence would be... Um, in us, working through us, conforming us into the image of Jesus Christ. So, Lord, we just pray for um, that receptivity of the Holy Spirit that our, our Mother Mary had to incarnate Jesus in the world. We thank you for the sacraments and for the power of the Holy Spirit working through us. Yes, Lord, I just pray right now that the sacraments would become alive in people's lives, that uh, the Eucharist and Mass would just be daily encounters with the presence and the person of Jesus Christ, that we would have faith in his true presence, that confession would be an encounter with Jesus Christ, that, that we just encounter his mercy and the Father's mercy and love. Lord, I just pray for a revival and a renewal to the sacramental life of the church, that we would experience more profound encounters with you through these sacraments. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, you know, in in evangelization or in parish life, Patrick, one of two things can happen, right? We can either allow the sacraments and the sacramental life of the church to become kind of a a, a factory that we we throw kids in to baptism prep, we throw kids into first communion prep, we throw kids into confirmation prep, and, and then we spit them out, right? And it's just like preparation, sacramentation, and then uh, and then spit them out. Uh, or we can go through a process where we're utilizing the sacramental life of the church to lead young people into a life-changing encounter with the person of Jesus Christ. And, and it's not about information, but it's about encounter. It's not about uh, the textbook, but it's about the person, right? Yep. What do you, what do you see is the, what's the church saying right now? Like, how should we go about really evangelizing the young church? Yeah, it really goes back to that word encounter. That um, Christianity is not, you know, a, a new morality. It's not a philosophy. It's an encounter with the the person, Jesus Christ, that gives life a new horizon, a definitive direction. I just quoted Pope Benedict the Sixteenth, who is, wow. I, I believe, I've heard um, of him before. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he followed up Pope John Paul II, and he paved the way for Pope Francis. And I think that Pope Benedict provided the Church with a theology for uh, what we need to have a foundation for. And I mean, over and over again, he kept he kept talking about 
encounter over and over. And there is actually um, articles, books that have been written on this theology of encounter. I'm going to share with you uh, one quote from Pope Benedict here. This is from um, uh, in 2008. Uh, Pope Benedict concluded that Christianity is not a new philosophy or a new form of morality. We are only Christians if we encounter Christ, period. Wow. We're only Christians if we encounter Christ. So there's this, um, there's the objectivity of our faith, the content of what we believe, but then there's the subjectivity of our faith, our experience with him. And so um, the, the, the challenge that I think every parish is engaged in right now that is actually um, moved beyond maintenance mode is how do we lead our students to experience um, the Christ that we profess in the sacraments, the Christ that we profess in the scriptures, the Christ that we profess in our community. And um, that is a complete work of the Holy Spirit. So if you're, if you're a listener out there and you're like, what's he going to say next? How do I do it? Um, you, ha- you, need, you need a relationship with the Holy Spirit. He's going to give you the ideas. He's going to show you what needs to happen right now. What we've learned is that what, what worked yesterday is not working today. And what's working today, I don't think is necessarily going to work tomorrow. Yeah, that's kind of the heart of the new evangelization, right? That we're in touch with the Holy Spirit so that the Holy Spirit instructs us on how to evangelize the faithful in the modern age. And and I think that it's so profound that Benedict the Sixteenth gives that quote, right? Because he is um, such an intellectual and such a profound theologian, right? And so even in the midst of all of the intellectual theology that he has, he's able to get back to the basics and the foundation and say, at the heart of everything is an encounter with the person of Jesus Christ. And one is only Christian if he's encountered Christ. And, you know, I was doing a, a parish mission one time and I was preaching the, the this, this idea that it's possible for us to go to mass week after week after week and yet never have had a life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ. Or it's possible for us to go to pray devotion after devotion after devotion and never have an encounter with Jesus Christ, that, that, that the goal of all of this is an encounter and a life-changing encounter that, as you said, Patrick, sets our life on a, in a, in a new horizon, right? And I've got another one, Dan. This is also from Pope Benedict before he was Pope Benedict. Um, he wrote a, um, a forward to Cardinal Sunan's book um, in the early 1980s. And he said, um, he said this, what is the relationship between personal experience and the common faith of the church. He said both factors are important. A dogmatic faith unsupported by personal experience remains empty. Mere personal experience unrelated to the faith of the church remains blind. So we have this awesome um, like synthesis that's put together. He said a dogmatic faith, this is the textbooks, things that you talked about, um, without personal experience remains empty. And I think what we're finding out now is that our churches go empty, right? Yep. <laughs> and, um, you know, mere personal experience unrelated to the faith and seeing how that ties in to um, the sacraments and, you know, the hierarchy and all this stuff, it remains blind and you're going to have all these divisions that have, oh, have so, flown out right So there. it's not an either or, right? It's, it's a, both a both and. and. Yeah. And yeah. so there's, there's this hunger in the church right now, I think, for this personal experience that we've given so... We, we've, we, we need a better... Uh, teaching on the, the the content of faith, a better catechesis, and then also a greater opportunity to lead people into this experience. I was telling that story that as I was preaching this uh, parish mission, there was this, I was talking about how we could volunteer, we could do devotions, we could do mass, and never have this personal experience, this life-changing encounter 
with Jesus. And at the end of this mission, you know, we're praying and, and, uh, afterwards there's this guy in the back and he's the, 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 everyone has left and there's this one guy sitting in the back and I knew who he was cause he was the guy who unlocked the doors and gave me the microphone when I got there. And I go back to the back and I'm like, Oh, Ron, I'm just so sorry for keeping you waiting, you know? And, uh, uh, there's just so many people that want prayers. You, uh, I'm ready to go. You can lock up now. And he starts to shake his keys and he's like, Dan, do you know what these are? It's like, uh, keys. <laughs> right. And, uh, and he said that, um, he's like, you know, I'm, I'm that person that you were talking about that I, these keys unlock every single building in the church and the school. And I've volunteered for every opportunity here for the last 25 years. And I've been on every committee and every council and yet I've never had an encounter with Jesus Christ. And it's like, well, Ron, do you want to encounter the father's love for you? And he's like, yeah, <laughs> he's like this like older gentleman, you know, you, he's just, he's lived a life. Right. And a lot of times you would say, well, I'm like, I'm older and maybe like that's for younger people and like with energy and excitement, but, but he was hungry. And so we prayed that the father would just manifest his love to him at that moment. And it was so amazing because the Holy spirit just fell upon him and he starts to weep and, and I'm like, Ron, what's going on right now? He's just, I just feel loved by God for the first time in my life. And, and I think that's that reality where for so long we can, we can be doing things for Christ without doing things with Christ, right? Mm-hmm. And, and Christ, he wants to manifest the Father's love to us so that we know what it means to be a son or a daughter, so that we know who he is as a person in our life that, that wants a relationship with us that changes us. And, um, so we're going to take a break and we're going to hear Drew's story about Drew Snyder's story about how he encountered Jesus Christ and went from a, um, a, a relationship of doing to just really a relationship of experiencing God's love for him. So let's, uh, we'll take a break. Break. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. Being part of the EWTN Media Missionaries is a perfect way to help us fulfill our calling from Christ to make disciples of all nations by use of the media. Visit EWTNMissionaries.com today and join us in sharing the eternal word with the world. What's up, EWTN family? Save the date, Saturday, November 3rd, Jacksonville, Florida. Join me for the EWTN Family Celebration. I'll be there with all your favorite EWTN personalities and amazing people from all around the country. See you there. Don't miss the EWTN Family Celebration coming to Jacksonville, Florida, Saturday, November 3rd. Join us at the Prime Osborne Convention Center for this free event. For details, go to EWTN.com slash family celebration. Father Benedict Groeschel. No Catholic can support abortion and that Catholics are responsible to take serious action against legalized abortion. The leading Catholic voices are on EWTN Radio. Welcome back to Encounter, the show that brings you the life-changing encounters of ordinary people that launch them into lives of extraordinary mission. All right, Patrick, we are going to welcome on in studio here, our good friend, Drew Snyder. Yeah, welcome, welcome Drew. Drew. Yeah, so Drew is the Director of Evangelization in uh, St. Brendan. Well, he was at St. Brendan's Parish. He's now starting a new parish, uh, Christ the King, which I think is great because they're like really forward thought thinkers on like uh, Hispanic uh, ministry and outreach, which is just awesome. And so, Drew, we're so excited to have you here. One of the reasons I uh, am just grateful to have you on the show is Drew's one of the best preachers I've ever like heard. And you hear a lot of preachers out there, like you go to these big conferences and there's all these big, huge names. And um, But a lot of times I think some of the greatest preachers are ones that 
aren't the headliners of these huge conferences. Um, and the reason I just love Drew's preaching is because it's uh, there's deep spiritual truths that are revealed, and then there's a, a rich intellectual life, and then a great humor that just kind of pervades the whole thing. And so you're you're brought in with the humor, but then there's the depths of the intellectual life of the church and the spiritual life of the church, like being wedded together in your preaching. And so we're just really blessed because uh, he's a man with a profound spiritual life and just an incredible testimony to share. Uh, so Drew, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's yeah, great, yeah. Great to be here with you guys. Excited to be here. Nice. Oh, yeah. So, so you've been in parish work for how long? For about 10 years, I think, full time. And then before that, you were a missionary with both Focus and St. Paul's Outreach. How long were you serving with them? I was. So I was with Focus for about three years in Massachusetts. And then with uh, St. Paul's Outreach, I was working with them part time and then part time youth ministry at a parish for four years. Awesome. And then you're a father of how many beautiful children? Father of four beautiful children. One That's adjective awesome. to describe your children. They are wild. <laughs> Praise wild the Lord. I children. love it. I yes. love it. I love it. Awesome. Wild and beautiful. So we want to hear about your ministry and what you're doing, but more, more importantly, we want to know how you came to encounter the, uh, Jesus Christ in a life changing way. So can you just share with us a little bit about what was life like? For you growing up in a Catholic family. Sure. Well, I'm originally from Colorado, uh, or what I refer to as the promised land. Uh, oh, yes. yes. The yes. land uh, flowing with snow and sunshine. <laughs> so I, I do miss it, but I, I love Ohio. It's where I'm meant to be. And I was, I was raised in a Catholic family. I grew up, uh, it was my mom, my sister, my dad and I. And my mom really took on most of the responsibility of raising us in the Catholic faith because my dad wasn't Catholic when I was growing up. He would later convert when I was about 13, 14 years old. So it was just wow. my mom, my sister and I going to church every Sunday. And you know, as a kid, I was pretty typical. You know, My top priorities in life were basketball and um, video games, and that's pretty much it. I mean, that, <laughs> what was your favorite video game? I think it had to be Zelda. I was a big <laughs> oh, Zelda wow. fan. Yeah, I, I, you know, I you was, know, I think I was probably thirty when I found out that that the 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 boy isn't Zelda. That he has a different name. That's like, right. Like, Zelda is the girl. Yeah, the princess or something. Save her. That blew my mind. So if that's blowing anyone's mind right now, yeah, I had no idea. We can this just talk about that for the next too. hour. Let's, let's do it. This might blow your mind too. We actually don't worship Mary. <laughs> just saying. Whoa, yeah. Catholics don't worship Mary. Yeah. Wow. Okay, good. So if that blew anyone else's two minutes mind. Down. <laughs> <laughs> We're breaking chains right now. Okay, go ahead. So Drew. so lots of Zelda when I was younger. And so going to church for me was was not really up there on the old priority list. And I remember arguing with my mom. I was like, I'm just not going. I don't want to go to mass. I don't want to go to CCD. And I just, I didn't like it. I didn't feel like it related to me at all. And uh, my mom was just like, you're going. Like, this is what you do. And so I, I couldn't argue with my mom. Like, <laughs> I just was like, okay, that's what I'm doing. And she, she just took us to mass, whether we really wanted to go or not. And I look back at that, and I'm, I'm so grateful, actually, because, number one, that built the habit in us of going to mass. And that carried me on into college. And I think, too, it actually taught us the most valuable lesson in life, and that's God, come, God comes first. Yeah. So it was you know, the first commandment, you shall not worship any gods beside me. And so even though my mom isn't this huge theology buff. Like, I think just through that example, she was able to, to teach us uh, just the importance of God in our life. Um, and when parents come to me today within the parish and they're saying, like, I don't want to force my kid to go to Mass uh, or make them go because they're going to resent it, I often share that story with them. And I say, well, you know, 
you make them go to school, right? Like oh, they don't yeah. have a choice. And they're like, well, yeah. I'm like, how much more important then is it to bring them to Jesus in the Eucharist? Yeah. So amen to that. I remember there was a time I was in my football pads uh, on August 15th, a, a holy day of obligation mass. And I was the only kid there, you know, like my, my, my brother, sister and I, I'm like, mom, we're like, why did you make me leave practice and come to mass? This is crazy. You know, like no one else is doing this. And she's like, well, we may not be like everyone else, but we're going to live our lives for Jesus Christ. Right. And you fight your parents, but ultimately it comes back around. So it's true. Awesome. And that's what I love about my mom is her perseverance. She just never gave up despite the resistance that my sister and I uh, put up against her. So I would describe my relationship growing up is uh, with God is, is pretty much all utilitarian. So it was like, I believed in God. I just didn't care about him until I needed mm. something. So in my mind is this child and then going into junior high and high school, I saw God as this big magical genie up in the sky. Like that was him. And so whenever I wanted something, then I would start praying. And I was like, if I can only just you know, be a pretty good person and get by, and if I really pray hard for the things I wanted, uh, then all my dreams will come true, right? yeah. just, just like a Disney movie. <laughs> and so that, that was the way I looked at him. And the two things I really wanted the most as I got older uh, was, one, to be a good, really good basketball player. Uh, which is funny because I'm about five seven, and then two uh, was to have a really cute girlfriend. Mm. Uh, so those, those good life goals. Hashtag life goals. Hashtag life goals. <laughs> and uh, you know, I mean, that's what Jesus meant when he said, I, "I've come so they would have life abundantly." Yeah, it was, it was yeah. about basketball have, and girlfriends. So right? your joy might be full. Yes, yes, that's exactly it. <laughs> or at least that's what I wanted him to mean. So I get into high school and uh, I'm all about that. And then I start to see here's the world and it's enticing me and I'm seeing the temptations and I'm, I'm just falling for it. So I start to get into drinking. I start to get into partying and I'm going in the wrong direction. And I think my mom sees this and she says, we, we got to do something. So she says to my sister and I, she's like, I'm going to send you to Europe on this pilgrimage with the church. And we're like, no way. We don't want to do that. And she's like, I'm not going. All right. So there's not going to be any parents there. So you guys are going to be there. You get to enjoy Europe. So we're like, all right, fine. We'll go. <laughs> so we go on this pilgrimage. And I wish I could say it was like this life-changing experience. But as everyone else was going to these shrines and churches, like I was going to the bars in Europe mm. as this high school student because I knew the drinking age was like five years old or yeah. something like that. <laughs> Just so, to do it. So yeah, I was walking into bars, getting, you know, getting drunk. And then uh, inviting other kids wow. from the pilgrimage to come with me. So, so I was the bad kid. I was the bad kid. Yeah, yeah, I was the kid you don't want in your youth group. And uh, and I come back from that trip and uh, really didn't feel like anything had changed. Although I see now that seeds were definitely uh, planted. There there was some deep impact there, but I just hadn't recognized it yet. And I'm, I continue to live that same lifestyle of, of drinking and partying. Uh, but was grateful at the same time because uh, the Lord in his providence surrounded me by some really good friends. So these guys who I knew, who I grew up just playing peewee soccer with, and all these guys just happened to come from these really strong Protestant families. Hmm. And these guys themselves were, were pretty devout. I mean, they were going to church regularly. They were involved in Bible studies. And I just liked hanging out with them and playing video games. Uh, but they were a great influence on me. I was not quite the best influence on them. So I even got some of them into drinking. And I remember in high school is we would go in between periods like off campus and we would just drink and then we would come back wow. to class. And uh, I, I still can't figure out why their parents wouldn't let them hang out with me. Yeah. I'm still trying to figure that one out. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that was, that was who I was. And so I was like an evangelist for the world, yeah. essentially. 
Hmm. And uh, so I get into college and, or I'm sorry, back into high school and um, I'm living this life and it all starts to come to a head around my senior year. And uh, I'm driving to school with a few of my friends and I'm going about 15 miles over the speed limit. So typical. And as I'm going down the, the road, I notice there's this police car that's strategically placed and hidden right right behind this fence almost. And I pass by him and I start to see him pull out uh, behind me. And sure enough, he's going to pull me over. So, I mean, at this point, any rational person would pull over, right? Naturally. Exactly. There's a cop pulling you over. You pull yes, over. Yes, but I was not a rational person. Oh, no. So rather than putting my foot on the brake, I put it on the gas pedal. Yeah. And I start to speed up. And I'm going faster and faster. And before I know it, I'm in this high-speed police chase. Wow. And I'm trying to outrun them. And I'm swerving through these neighborhoods and just extremely dangerous, but trying to outrun them. And I hear in the background the sirens, so I can't see him at one point, and I'm looking, I'm just thinking, I need to park and hide. I need to find somewhere. And it turned out that right there in that location, the closest place to park and hide was my home parish, uh, where we went to church every Sunday, <laughs> and where I received First Communion, and I was baptized. And so I was like, okay, might as well go here. So I pulled into the parking lot, and I'm, I'm there hidden behind a building and my friends are freaking out. One of them's like, what are you doing? Like, and well, the, you had people with you in the back. Yeah. There were two of my friends were with me. So one of them was like the good conscience. And he was like, you got to pull over. You can't do this. And the other one was like, go man, like keep faster, going faster. faster. And that was Dan. Yeah, that was Dan. <laughs> That's not true. But I do picture that this is what every teenager in Colorado is like. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. So, here I am, and my friends are freaking out, and I'm thinking, okay, guys, we're just going to just lay low. You know, we hadn't seen the police yet, and uh, we're just going to hang low, and then we'll, we'll leave in just a few minutes once the coast is clear. Well, no sooner had I said that than the police cars just come blaring into the parking lot. Wow. The sirens are on, and the guys get out of their cars. They have their hands on their side. like They look like they're, they're ready for some action. Yeah. And I, I didn't mention this detail, but it was Spirit Week in our school that week and it was wear your pajamas to school day so here i am like in my pajamas they definitely think i'm on something which i wasn't thankfully but they arrest me they put me in the back of the police car and i remember i'm there and i'm sweating because it's this hot day and i hear this knock on the side window and i look over and it's my parish priest oh wow i'm like could this get any worse (laughs) and he's like he recognizes me because he knows my family he's like andrew he's like what what happened? Yeah, like, uh, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. <laughs> <laughs> you just climb in? Yeah, just come on in. It's time for confession. <laughs> so and that was in some ways a turning point for me, but I think what it really showed was, you know, God was actually leading me back to church. Like I was running away from him. Like mm-hmm. I was on the run and he kept leading me back. And I think even if it was going to take some really hard experiences to get me to come back, so I was arrested. I was put in jail. I was bailed out. But thankfully, I didn't have to go to jail for all that long uh, because it was my first time offense. I probably should have been arrested a dozen of other times for other things, but uh, didn't get caught. And then that same year, I'm invited to a Christian conference by some of my friends. A big Christian conference, hundreds of students up in the Rocky Mountains. And I didn't really love those type of things. Like I'd been to, I think one before, but um, they told me there were going to be some cute girls there. So I was like, okay, and that's I'm, one of your life dreams. That's one of my dreams. I got one off the bucket list. So <laughs> I went went to the conference, and there were the talks, and there was the prayer, and the altar calls, and everything. And none of that stuff really resonated with me. 
Uh, but it was one moment where my friends just started talking to me. It was after one of the talks. And they're starting to ask me, is I think the good evangelist they were trying to be about where I was in my relationship with God. And I remember being very uncomfortable and just saying, I, you know, I, I don't know. And then they start asking me about my beliefs as a Catholic. So they're talking about like, do you know, like what you actually believe? And, and did you know that this is unbiblical? And, you know, talking about the Pope and purgatory and everything. And, and they're just saying this because they care about me. And at this, as this is all happening, I just feel like the foundations of my life were just crumbling. It's like, mm-hmm. I, I realized, in fact, I was resting on nothing really. Yeah. And so it, I came to this re- revelation and I left that moment, I, I was just in tears because I was so confused. And I remember going back to my bedroom and I was, I was praying at the foot of my bed, probably the most heartfelt prayer, prayer I'd ever prayed at that point. And I start saying, God, I, I just show me the truth. Like, I, I don't know what to believe anymore. Oh, if wow. it's the Catholic faith, lead me there. If it's not, lead me away from here. So that was a key moment for me because that sent me on really this intellectual pursuit of trying to find the truth. And I come back home and my mom gives me a few books as I'm talking to her. And I was like, these are, these are terrible. You know, they just (laughs) didn't do it for me at all. Uh Just a snooze fest. And then my uncle, he suggests a book uh, by Scott Hahn called Rome Sweet Home and uh, dangerous, dangerous book to get your hands on. So I'm reading through this book and I'm loving it because I'm like, I've never heard the Catholic faith explained this way before. Mm-hmm. And it's talking about the Eucharist and the mass and Mary. And uh, it just opened my eyes to see actually there's historical evidence for this. Uh, there's biblical evidence for this and it makes coherent sense. So in my mind, my convictions were deepening and I was saying, this is, this is awesome. This is amazing. Um, but at the same time, there's this disconnect uh, between my head and my heart. So I was still rationalizing the way I was living, still going to parties, still chasing after girls. And I get to college and now I'm like this kid in a candy store. Mm. So I'm still going to mass because I'd feel terrible if I didn't. <laughs> uh, and thanks to my mom and those good habits we built. But I was, I was partying even more, more alcohol, just, just more getting into trouble. And, uh, my freshman year, I end up meeting these guys on campus who are involved with a program called focus, the fellowship of Catholic university students. And uh, these guys are smiling, you know, from ear to ear. And they're like, hey, you want to join a Bible study? And uh, I'm like, hey, no, (laughs) I don't. So I I, like walk right past them. But these guys, they continue to invest in a relationship with me as I saw them Hmm. at church. And I kept denying them and and their invitations to kind of hang out or go to Bible studies. But I I started to realize that these guys are legit guys. Like they're not just trying to get me to join a Bible study. They actually care about me. Well, all that's kind of in the background. And then my sophomore year really starts to hit a low. It's like all my choices start to catch up with me. And I start to feel this like emptiness. And I'm like, why is this happening? Like here I am and I've got like all this stuff that I want and I've got friends and I'm having a good time or so I think on the weekends. And I just feel this deep sense of emptiness and probably one of the darkest periods of my life where I just start to sink deeper and deeper and to numb the pain. I'm partying more. I'm getting more into drinking. I'm even getting to the point where I'm drinking heavily by myself, which isn't good. And I just hit rock bottom. And um, I think that's what I needed for the Lord to shake me out of my apathy was was that. So I'm like, where do I go now? And and I'm coming to church and these guys ask me, so, hey, what are you doing this week? And I'm like, well, I, I don't know. And they're like, you want to come to a Bible study? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I guess I will. So I end up going and 
again, it's like these light bulbs are going off and I'm starting to learn about the faith and seeing the beauty of the story of scripture unfold and, and learning about the person of Jesus Christ and, and encountering him in a way I never had before. And looking at these guys and saying, here are these guys and they actually want to go to church. Like I'd never met Catholics like that before. Like I always had to go to church. They want to. Yeah. And they spoke about the Lord as though they really knew him. And that, that for me was huge. So I just, all that came together, come converging together. And I remember finding myself in the chapel my sophomore year and I'm there kneeling before the tabernacle. I look up, I see the cross and I'm just like, Lord, I, I'm done. Like I'm done living this way. I want to start living for you and I want to stop living for myself. And, uh, I'm sorry. I'm just sorry for just rejecting you time after time after time. And it's like, all of a sudden I get it. Like, he's like, do you see it now? Do you see how much I love you? As I'm looking at the cross and looking at the tabernacle, and I'm like, yeah, I see it now. Mm. So that was really the, the beginning of the end, so to wow. speak, uh, where just everything transformed from there. Praise the Lord. That's amazing. Mm. I, I heard one time when you're trying to reach out to someone and invite them, sometimes you need to give them uh, seven invitations. That's kind of the, they did some research on how many times you had to invite someone to a church event before they say yes. And I heard seven times. And I think that's really encouraging to hear, Drew, because a lot of times we may invite someone and they may say no, and we're like, oh, okay, fine. And we never invite them again. And that, But that presence and that witness in your life, the invite, 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 yes, mm-hmm. right? And that, that, that Jesus wants uh, us to be persistent, not just with our prayer, but with our invitations. So Dan, how often should I invite my brother to church seven times? <laughs> how about seven times, seven Whoa! times? <laughs> so don't stop at, after seven. That's yeah, what we're exactly, trying. That's exactly. what Dan's really trying to say. Yeah, there's never, like, never stop calling, like, inviting people. If God's placed that person in your heart, reach out to them and keep reaching out to them with a with a life of authentic love, not, mm-hmm. not, not a per brochure, you know, but a life of authentic relationship and love. That's amazing, Drew. Thanks for sharing. What's the, so that's like, that was, if you will, your metanoia, right? Your turning point, your conversion. And there was, there's something, the lifestyle change. So after your lifestyle changed, what happens? So at that point, then I'm trying to figure out, okay, how do I, I live this? And it was funny because as all this was happening to me, my high school youth minister who I'd never got involved with youth group at all at my home parish, he approaches me and he says, you know, I, I want you to consider being an associate youth minister at our parish, my home parish. And I'm like, do you, do you realize like what I did in high school? Like, <laughs> you do not want to be asking me to be a youth minister. Cause I think there's probably policies against that. And he said, <laughs> he's like, no, I, I want you to consider this. I, I've heard you've experienced some changes. You're involved with focus now. And, so he says, I, I want you to, to pray about this. So I did. And I just heard the Lord saying, yeah, you should do this. And uh, I went into doing youth ministry part time when I was in college and, and I caught the bug. I loved it because I was thinking like, here I am. And so many people have invested in me and never gave up in me. And I've seen the fruits of that. And mm-hmm. I was like, I want to help others in that same way that I've been helped, help them to know the Lord. So working with kids uh, just inspired in me, I think a desire to be able to serve in ministry and, and to grow too. And to realize like, I can't be doing all the same stuff that I was doing anymore. I got to let this go. You know, if I truly want to lead other people to the Lord. And then at the same time, there are a bunch of these guys who I was running with these brothers and they were saying, we want to be missionaries and we want to go work on campus, you know, with focus when, when we're done with college, I was like, I, I didn't want to do that initially. But then after working in youth ministry, I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm all for that. So I get out of college and they send me to uh, the University of Massachusetts as I, I joined Focus. And I'm there and it's like the, the discipleship just keeps deepening. 
It's like the Lord just keeps investing in me and, uh, and keep, he keeps leading me closer to him. So one of the things we did in focus is we would pray for like an hour each day and we go to mass every day. And that's where our ministry began. I mm-hmm. uh, was right there in the chapel and my life just started to, to grow in leaps and bounds at that point. Cause I probably had only prayed for like maybe 10 minutes a day at the yeah. most. And here I am and it's just like, it's hard and it's challenging, but the Lord is just kind of sucking all of this like worldliness out of me and infusing his spirit within me. And it was incredible. Uh, the other thing I found on campus was I kept realizing like how insufficient I am and how weak I am. And it's like, man, this is hard. Like ministry is not easy stuff and starting to realize how much I need to rely more on the Lord and on his spirit. So I found myself continually turning to acts and that just leading and guiding my prayer and being so inspired by the apostles because I was like, here they are, these ordinary guys and they're weak and you see them fall again and again and fail again and again in the scriptures. Mm-hmm. And I could resonate with that. I'm like, that's me. But then to see after Pentecost, this new boldness and fire that filled them and seeing them go throughout the world, like fearless to share the gospel. I was like, I want that to see how the Lord, they went from a place of self-reliance to divine reliance. And seeing that well, at the same time as, you know, this communal life that they were sharing, you know, that we see in Acts two forty two forty two, where it's like they're devoting themselves to the teaching of the apostles, the communal life, the breaking of the bread and saying, how rich is this to see these men and these women running after Christ together, living their life together. Yeah. So Drew, share a little bit of that. So after your time with Focus, you came to, uh, you moved to Ohio, right? And you were introduced to St. Paul's Outreach that had more of a charismatic or if you will, like introduced to praise and worship and, um, and more of the life in the spirit. What was your reaction when you started seeing, you're reading about the Acts of the Apostles, you're, you're looking at the life of the apostles, but then all of a sudden you're introduced to, if, if you will, like the modern day Acts. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was like a prayer come true, uh, in a way. Cause you know, my wife and I, we came to Ohio and it was mainly just so she could complete group grad school. So it was just a pit stop. But here we are. We encounter St. Paul's Outreach, which I hadn't heard about before. And I'm just amazed at the similarities between St. Paul's Outreach and Focus and just how beautiful these apostolates are. But yet at the same time, seeing this rich life in the spirit that's here in Columbus and that the guys and, and the women in St. Paul's Outreach are living and experiencing that and saying, this, this is just the spirit on a whole new level. It's like I'd always looked at the Holy Spirit as like this alien dove being, you know, from heaven. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, who wants to have a relationship with that? And, and then I'm starting we to scream. We come in peace. <laughs> <laughs> we come in peace. That's a good one. I, they should make a T-shirt of that. Yeah, like, oh, no, Holy Spirit alien. No, that's <laughs> it. Yeah, so who wants to have a relationship with a, an alien dove? And, and I'm starting to realize that's not it at all. I'm like, this is the power of Christ, you know, that raised him from the dead dead and in the love between the father and the son and wanting to experience that more and giving my life more over to the Holy Spirit and feeling just a new sense of strength and empowerment in that. And then this call to really bind my life to others. Um, so I, I found that as well. And that too was a prayer that came to fruition because when I was in Massachusetts, one of the things I had prayed about and talked about with some of the guys was, I said, what if we, after focus, we all move to the same place and, and we, get houses near each other and we live in the same neighborhood and we continue this life and we're praying together and we're meeting together. What if we did that? And all of us were excited. We're like, yeah, let's do that. Uh, But all of us went on our separate ways. You know, some of us were engaged. Some of us were going to grad school. And so that never happened, but I'm coming here to Columbus and I'm starting to see that is a reality. So that desire the Lord to put on my heart 
now is coming to fruition. Yeah, so like you, you've done something really radical, right? So you and your friends um, from college, you after you graduated, you got married, you had families. You guys all bought homes in the same neighborhood, and what do you what do you call it? Call it a, like a cluster, yeah, like right? A cluster. So can you explain like what what why did you guys do that? What's the motivation there? So there are these. You know, those of us who are involved with St. Paul's Outreach, and we're saying, what if we just continue this way of life together? Like, we're praying together. We have men's and women's groups together. Like, why should this stop afterward? And so those of us, we're getting married, and we're starting to have kids, and these houses start opening up on this one street. And really, by a miracle, like, we all start buying these houses together and getting these houses, and we're moving in on the same street. And, and that was, what, nine, ten years ago, something like that. And now there's, like, 15 of these wow. just on-fire Catholic families. Like, we're living in this neighborhood, and we're coming to over each other's houses. We're praying. Our kids are playing outside together. We have men's and women's groups together. We're all involved actively in our parishes. And it's just like, here it is. This is like Acts 242, mm-hmm. like, lived in action. Wow, that's amazing. What's the um uh like when you Wow, that's pretty radical, right? So Drew, what's the um you know like I think there's something radical in that like you and your friends have like l- chosen to live life together and like it's not like you because a lot of times what people do is when they, they have these conversations and these vibrant relationships in college, you're like, Oh yeah, like we wanna we wanna do this, we wanna spend our lives like thrown together and really like living life together but then they get a job offer in a different state and they like go you know and they just go after the job offer because it pays more or a promotion that moves them upstate well like what what have you seen that people is there a stability are people willing to just like do what's best for the sake of catholic community that's a great question i think you got to fight for it and you have to realize that, that we need this, that the Lord has made us for relationship with himself, but also relationship with one another, and that faith is strongest when it's lived together. And I found that in college. I found that in my time with Focus and SPO, and I'm finding it now, is that I I need to be surrounded by brothers who can call me on as a father, as a husband, and as a man. And so we, we make that commitment to one another. I think it's all based on that commitment saying, like, we're, we're not going anywhere. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, unless like there's this radical reason, like we would need to go somewhere else. Like we're committed to the Lord. We're committed to one another. We're committed to this way of life. So I'd say that the commitment and just living that life in the spirit uh, that binds that commitment, that's, that's where it starts. And that's the glue that holds it together. So, so what's the biggest fruit you've seen out of the lifestyle, like that commitment to one another? I would say, um, I think, you know, going back to my role as a father, which I, I see is, you know, I work in parish ministry and I love that. And that's a huge part of what I do. But my, my mission as a father is my fundamental mission. And I've seen that more and more is that the Lord, you know, just as Jesus had these uh, 12 disciples, but then within that 12, he had the three, James, John, and Peter, whom he invested most of his time in. I think the Lord gives us people in our life that we're called to invest most of our time and energy into. And I, I see that really as my children and my wife. So that's hard. I mean, that's the hardest mission that I have is, is trying to help them know the Lord and just trying to overcome my own weakness and my own sinfulness. So these guys, I'm, I'm hearing their stories and they're challenging me and we're meeting regularly and it, it inspires me. It's like every time, even if I'm just tired and I'm like, oh, do I have to, do I have to go meet with these guys? Again, I find myself uplifted 
uh, the Lord mm-hmm. is working through those relationships. So you say like living life in the Holy Spirit together, like a community that's living life uh, in the Spirit. What does that mean? What does that look like to live life? Because we hear that phrase a lot, right? Like, oh yeah, we're called to live life in the Spirit. What does that mean? So I think number one, it means just giving ourselves over to the power of the Holy Spirit. So realizing that on our own, we actually don't have what it takes, like the power to live the life that we're made for, mm-hmm. that we need to invite the Holy Spirit into our lives. Uh, just as we see with the apostles and yielding to that spirit, abandoning ourselves totally to the Holy Spirit. And then you start to see the power of the spirit moving forth. And so it's like when you're getting together and you're praying, it's it's not just like we're all you know very solemn and, uh, you know, but it's just joyful, vibrant praise of the Lord. I mean, I was just at this men's retreat a couple of weeks ago with these 40 guys, a lot of these guys who live in my same neighborhood and you would look at this and you'd be amazed because you're like, I mean, men in our culture today, like don't do this. Typically mm. they don't get together and they're shouting praises towards the Lord. And, uh, you know, there's just this richness and depth of prayer and there's some serious healing going on at the same time as you realize God wants to bring us this deep inner healing. He's given us his spirit uh, for that purpose. So, I think the life of the Spirit is expressed in, a, in many different ways. Um, those are just a few of them. Yeah, I think unlocking worship is a way that just predisposes the soul to receiving the Holy Spirit, right? That mm-hmm. like there's, and it predisposes the soul to healing, that the Holy Spirit can come once, once we, we worship the Lord and Spirit and truth, right? What happens is it's almost like the chains start to fall away just, just because we orient ourselves towards worship. You said something earlier that I thought was really cool. You said moving from, um, self-reliance to divine reliance, right? What that, what does that look like in a, in a day-to-day life? Like really being spirit reliant as opposed to self-reliant? Yeah. I, I think it's saying, okay, I've got my particular plans and desires as I've always had, but, but saying, okay, I want those to be the Lord's desires and I want those to be the Lord's plans. So always asking, Hey Lord, what is your will? Not my will be done, but your will be done. And I feel like, you know, from the moment we came to Columbus, I really, that was always the prayer of my wife and I is, is not your will, not our will be done, but your will be done. And so you move from this place from self-reliance where it's just all about you and what you want to divine reliance where you're saying, actually the Lord in his providence, he cares for us. Mm-hmm. So us being in Columbus, like that's the Lord's providence. And you know, people wonder like, what? You're from Colorado? Like, why are you in Columbus? And Columbus is beautiful. I tell them, I yeah. love Columbus. But, you know, I do love the Rocky Mountains as well. I'm saying, this is this is all part of God's plan. And it's like, I see it now. This is where I'm meant to be. So it's giving into that. And whenever I find I give myself to the Lord in that way, and I just like, Lord, whatever you will, I will follow you wherever you go. His plans, his desires are always so much better than my own. Yeah, I think there's something. So the Benedictines, they take a uh, a fourth vow of stability, right? Which I always thought was really interesting. That that uh, that while some of our religious communities they take that that they're mendicant communities, meaning that they uh, they journey, they travel, they preach, right? But the the Benedictines uh, they take a vow of stability that they actually feel called to a particular place and a particular people, and uh, and I think there's an element to our own unique call that God may be calling us sometimes to a particular place and people, and it seems like that's what God did to you and to your wife that even though she was from the East Coast, you're from the West Coast, that you are called to a particular place in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. To a, what does that look like uh, for you? 
Like how does one de- I guess how does one de- determine and ask God am I co- where am I called to be and who who are the people you've called us to live life with God I think one is you you just kind of see where the Lord is working in your life and uh you know he opens doors and he closes doors and so I think sometimes we try to force open doors that that shouldn't be open and sometimes the door that's open is the one we refuse to go through and it's looking for those open doors and saying actually the Lord has opened a very clear door here and I might be afraid or hesitant to go through it, but I see that he's paved that path. And so I want to go through that door. And again, it's, it's when you do, you start to feel like there's, there's peace here. There's joy here. Like the Lord has a purpose. He has that foreknowledge of what's going to bless us and bless our lives. Uh, so I've seen that very clearly in our own life. I, I see it here in Columbus. Again, it's just being involved with the people that we have. It's, it's just such a rich life. It's so blessed. Amen. Jerry, I want to ask real quick about the parish life. So you're a director of evangelization and you're, you're really striving for, to rethink how we structure parish evangelization. And, um, what's, what's kind of that process? Like, what do you see as the ideal Catholic parish? How should we be going about evangelization? Great question. So, I mean, my experience growing up is I didn't love the parish. I, I felt like religious education, everything I experienced, it just fell flat for me. So you know, a big part of what I do is saying, how do we bring the kerygma into every aspect? What's the kerygma for our listeners? Good, good question. So the kerygma, John Paul II describes it as the initial ardent proclamation of the gospel that leads one to an encounter with Jesus Christ. So it's all about that and saying, okay, how do we then make our catechesis more evangelistic, Mm. right? And how do we make our evangelization more catechetical? Not that the two are on totally different ends, but that they should be blended together. So it's, it was sacramental prep, for instance. One of the things that we'll do is, uh, you know, it's typical in parishes, you'll have meetings. So you'll meet with parents about first communion or whatever. And a while back we said, well, let's not just talk about the sacrament. Let's talk about Jesus and let's lead them to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And we've had these parent meetings where we have adoration and we have confession and uh, you get these 40 parents together and it's incredible. Like you start preaching the gospel, you tie it to the sacraments, you say these things aren't separate, they're all bound together. And I've, I've seen parents just in tears as they're there before the Eucharist for the first time, they've never been in adoration and then lining up for confession. There's one parent who told me recently, that after she went to confession, she's like, I haven't been in like 30 years. And she said, I just left with tears of joy in my eyes. I called my mom right afterward. I told my mom I went to confession because I knew she'd be happy. And you could see just like right here, this is what it's about, right? Not just talking about the sacraments, but living in the sacraments and encountering the Lord through them. Wow. Yeah, I think that's, so this show's called Encounter, Encounter right? Um, and I think that that's, you just hit it like the nail on the head, right? Like we need a create parishes that are oriented towards encounter with Jesus Christ, which is so easy to do because the the sacraments are divine encounters with Jesus, right? And so, like, we've got it at our disposal, but because we sometimes lack the kerygma, that ardent proclamation of the faith and the gospel, that can sometimes, it becomes uh, all information and no encounter. That's awesome. Well, Drew, thank you so much for having us on the show and for sharing your life-changing encounter with us. Uh, We're going to be right back as we take a short break. Catherine Zeltner. There are so many misconceptions when it comes to abortion and assisted suicide. It's really confusing, and I think for a lot of people, they don't know how to talk about these things. EWTN Pro-Life Weekly, we help to change that. We help to really untangle these web of lies. Listeners can expect to become informed and then grow more confident so they can then discuss and dialogue these issues, and together we can really impact culture in that way. 
EWTN Pro-Life Weekly, tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. on EWTN Radio. The Wisdom of Mother Angelica. I want you to have such confidence in the Lord that you'll find such hope and see the beauty of the Lord, the majesty of God. What did our Lord say, huh? If your sins are as scarlet, oh, what? What's going to happen? They shall be made white as snow. EWTN. Live truth. Live Catholic. Welcome back to Encounter, the show that brings you the life-changing encounters of ordinary people that launch them into the lives of extraordinary mission. Wow, Patrick, that was a sweet testimony. Yeah, it had every element I love in, <laughs> in, in, in wild movies. Wild car chases. It had cute girls, wild <laughs> car chases, like alcoholic binges. But then this this conversion, this character oh, oh, transformation. Jesus, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. It, it makes Alien, for, Holy Spirit, oh, doves. Yeah. You can't get enough of that. So what stood out to you the most, other than the car chase? Other than the alien dove thing, that was really funny. Um no, I, I love uh, what he talked about, his passion for community, that um, he's not even from Columbus. And then he comes here and he, he meets these, these other couples and they, they, experience, um, they experience God through the, uh, through the people of God. They experience Christ through the church. And um, it's, it's, it reminded me of that, that uh, the parable about the kingdom of God is like treasure buried in a field that... Once you found it, that you sold everything and bought the land, right? And so it's like they they literally um, they sold everything, you know, all of their dreams and other ambitions, and they bought homes on the street together. Mm. And they're giving their children something that they didn't have. Where Drew's experience uh, growing up was a mediocre parish life, right? Mm-hmm. Where you were just going to school. There's he never um, he never shared anything about these dynamic kingdom friendships and relationships and like covenant uh, families together. And um, I think that's so much of what is missing in our, uh, our experiences. And as, as we move and become more evangelical, we're going to have to become more communal. So that really inspired me. Um, yeah. I don't think the Lord wants us to be alone, right? Like there's no, there's no desire for, uh, on the father's heart that we would be, um, only children. It's not good for man to be alone. It's not good for man to be I alone. I read that somewhere. <laughs> I don't know where. I've heard it too. You know. Yeah. Uh, and so what? So if it's not good for us to be alone, then pray for community. Like if you were listening to Drew and you're like, man, I really, I want that. Then start asking the Father uh, to send that into your parish, right? Or or to provide those kind of vibrant, spirit filled relationships. And um, and I think it's sometimes we have to make sacrifices and put forth effort to form community, right? Like just like marriage doesn't just a good marriage doesn't just happen, right? It requires effort and sacrifice. And likewise, vibrant community within a church doesn't just happen. It requires effort and sacrifice. And I think a lot of times like we just think we can just show up on Sunday and that community is going to happen. And it doesn't. That there's there's got to be more that we give and put into to form these vibrant relationships. And maybe it's you 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 ask other couples to have a small group with you, or you throw your life in somehow together to start taking baby steps. I also love how Drew talked about this, the the way he's trying to do parish evangelization, right? Bringing the charisma back into 
uh, sacramental formation and even the, the sacramental formation that is provided for the parents, right? That the mm-hmm. importance of sometimes it's easy for us to forget about that basic proclamation of the faith where we, we give all the, we, we, we jump, we jump ahead. <laughs> yeah. You know, we jump to all the riches and the treasures that we have in the church, but we forget the basic gospel message that we have a father in heaven who loves us. We have Jesus Christ who came into this world, suffered and died for us, rose victorious from the dead, has victory for us in our life, and sends us the Holy Spirit to bring us new life in Christ, right? And when we forget to proclaim that part of the gospel, um, the church can start seeing like a, seem like a bunch of rules without a relationship. Yeah, it goes back to encounter. They're like, that's the, the, the purpose of the church is to draw forth these um it's like in the encounter where this sanctifying evangelical grace just flows into our life so that we can become like Jesus, holy, and then share Jesus and um, and do, do our mission of evangelization. Amen. Amen to that. So good. Yeah, that's uh, so I just want to encourage our listeners that um, to as you listen to Drew's testimony, that God wants to make these testimonies our own, right? That, that the reason we share testimonies is that, that what God has accomplished in Drew's life, he can accomplish in your life as well. This is how God works. And so maybe you're in that position where you're just like, you know what? I haven't had a life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ yet. Well, God wants that for you, and you don't need to. You don't need a special formula to accomplish it. Like, ask God right now. God, will you reveal yourself and manifest your love to me? Um, so we're going to pray for that, and I also want to pray that maybe you're hungry for a deeper community where you feel like you're doing this on your own, or your family's doing this on their own. We're also just going to pray that God would open doors. Sound good? Sounds Let's great. Pray. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Holy Spirit, we just call to you right now. And we know that you reveal the Father's love to a people here. And so we just pray that you would come and manifest the Father's love to your children right now. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. We just pray that you would touch hearts right now, that that you would allow us to experience and to encounter divine love right now. Come, Holy Spirit, more. Pour out divine love from heaven, a divine intimacy. We pray that you would open ears, Lord, right now so that we can hear the Father's voice and Father, we just invite you now to speak for your children are listening. Come, Holy Spirit, speak to your children. Father, I think I just got this sense that the Father is just releasing peace. That Jesus said, "Peace I, I give to you, my peace I give to you." So, Lord, we just thank you for right now pouring out your peace through your, the Holy Spirit. Thank you, God, that you're you're taking away worries and concerns about the future because you're already in the future. Yeah, and Lord, I just. I, I, I pray that you would uh, resurrect any parishes that are in need of a new life, that you would allow parish communities to come alive. And those uh, right now who are just hungry for more community, Lord, I pray that you would just bring new couples, new friendships, uh, new people into their life that would just allow them to pursue you and to chase after you so that they're not alone. Come Holy Spirit, bring forth new vibrant communities of missionary disciples. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Thank you so much for listening to Encounter. We have a lot of different episodes on our website, so feel free to go to EncounterRadio.org to hear other life-changing testimonies or to share your life-changing testimonies with our audience. Um, This was uh, brought to you by St. Gabriel Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. You can catch us next Saturday night on Encounter. Encounter.